Monday of game week, it's just different. It hits different. It feels different. It's uh, something that has been in my blood my whole life. So when you listen to Red Dirt music, it's like that last Rebel sound to me. It is a combination of uh, Southern rock and jazz and uh, bluegrass. And, and for Skip Bayless to come out and say, I don't feel bad for him and kind of belittle him and say, how dare you? How dare you as the leader of America's team show weakness? Honestly, I want to say what I want to say. This is the Sam Mays Podcast. Welcome. I'm Sam Mays. And today we're talking to Jason Kersey from The Athletic here in Oklahoma City. Jason covers the Oklahoma Sooners along with college football as a whole. Jason, how are you, sir? I'm great. It's good to be here. Just had a, an excellent roast beef po' boy. So. Yeah. Yeah, here live at Brent's. Brent's Cajun Seafood, a buddy of mine uh, here in the Edmond area. It's right on Broadway Extension. So easy to get to. Um, I told Jay, I tell everyone this. It's the same spiel every time. There's literally not a bad thing in the menu. So if you haven't been to Brent's, uh, come on in and, uh, and check it out. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast also because you're going to hear a little bit more about what he's got going on for the holiday season as uh, Brent is feeding the, feeding the masses every, every November. So uh, looking forward to that. But, Jason, it's Bedlam week. We're excited about it. I know yes. I am. Uh, Oklahoma State it has proven to be a damn good football team. They have some real flaws, but that's a damn good football team. And Mike Gundy's done a good job uh, in the 2020 COVID era finding a way to put a product out there that is a little bit better than most, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and Oklahoma has found a way to, after two losses for the first time in 21, 22 years, back-to-back uh, -back against Iowa State and Kansas State, they have found a way to get better every single game like Lincoln Riley always does. And now you're looking at a matchup that might be one of your better ones in college football during this 2020 COVID season. It is. It's really interesting. I mean, if you Three four weeks ago, I, I thought there was no way that uh, that Oklahoma uh, that Oklahoma would be on Oklahoma State's level. I thought right. this was clearly a down year for OU, and and OSU was probably going to win that game. And now I look at it, and I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself because it is Texas Tech and it is Kansas, or the right. two teams that that OU's beaten. But all of a sudden, they're doing things that they're supposed to do, and to me, that's different. They're supposed to beat the crap out of Kansas, and that's exactly right. what they went and did um, without even playing their best game. Um, Ramondre Stevenson has been a huge addition to that team. So now all of a sudden we're looking at a great Bedlam matchup that has huge Big 12 implications. Yeah, no, it's, it's unreal You know, when you consider what the struggle to even start this season was. And now you're looking at a Bedlam matchup as one that's really going to help decide you know, who plays for a Big 12 championship. Uh, right now, it doesn't look like the Big 12 is going to have a team in the semifinal, which is sad for all of us here uh, in Oklahoma as we've been a part of every – I've been a part of every college football uh, playoff since it started as I went down and covered Ohio State and Oregon in year number one in, in Dallas. So to not be a part of this one is, is frustrating for sure. Uh, also, I need to grow the hell up and understand that no one – has been the five, you know, no one does five in a row. Like, it's it's pretty crazy to think how successful OU has been, but it looks like they will uh, not be a part of that game this year unless some crazy shit happens I mean, in the next you know, yeah. few weeks, which is a possibility, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of at the point where I feel like the only team still with a real chance making the playoff is Oklahoma State, and that would even require, I think, a lot of, right. a lot of things to happen. But right. uh, OU would need so many things to happen uh, in order to make it uh, as a two-loss team. 
But, you know, with, I mean, the Big Ten's canceling games. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Who, this is the craziest year ever, so who the heck knows? Right, yeah, it's, it's been uh, pretty wild watching this thing unfold. I kind of was in the school of, well, you know, it's, it's COVID, and when guys get it, they typically don't get it again to college campus. All these guys are going to have it by November 1st, mm-hmm. and then we're going to see less cancellations. Well, when you look at the Big 12 right now, that would be the case, right? For some reason, the SEC, I don't understand why they're still having the issues that they ha- they, they're they having, but it makes sense to me that the Big Ten, who has not had any school, right? They went online from the very beginning, I, I believe, mm-hmm. and now they're all being ex- exposed to COVID because of the games that are being played. So it makes sense to me why the Big Ten would have so many issues. In hindsight, the Big Ten probably wishes they started the season when we all started the season, or even maybe a little bit earlier, because yeah. there was that conversation, heck, maybe we get this thing going you know, that last week of July and see if we can get through it through the winter months. And, you know, it, COVID is running rampant across the United States, and it just seems like it's like, it, you know, we're just living with it. We're just trying to move uh, through it. And, and vaccine news is good and all that good stuff. But uh, it's definitely going to impact, you know, who we're covering in those in those two those three final games, the two semifinal games in the national championship. Yeah, and, and I'm really interested to see how the committee handles the Big Ten because – you know, Ohio State's got a game now that's been canceled. And if they finish the season, I don't know, 6-1 and one or something, I mean, are they, are they a playoff team? I, they're probably one of the four most talented teams, but do they deserve to be in the playoff at, you know, if they've played three, four fewer games than everybody else? I mean, these are all the conversations they're going to have to have because uh, their mandate is to pick the four best teams, and that's supposed to be it. That's supposed to be the only criteria. But, I mean, I – to me, it doesn't seem right that a team can play three or four less games than other teams and still get in. But, you know, yeah, no, they, I, did, they I, didn't I, ask my opinion on it. You so. know, the, right. The, the eye test uh, is going to tell you that Ohio State is better than most, right? Yeah. The eye test is going to tell you that uh, Wisconsin most likely behind a, an offensive line that is traditionally what it always is and a, uh, you know, a young quarterback that seems to be the real deal. That's a good football team. But they're not going to play enough games. And if you're telling me that Oklahoma State finds a way to win a Big 12 championship and they've got uh, just that one loss, and are they better than Ohio State? The answer is hell no. Are they better than Wisconsin? Probably not. But they absolutely deserve the opportunity to play for a semifinal game because they've just played more football. Like That's just it. They've done more, been through more, uh, dealt with injuries, dealt with you know the, the, the grind of a season that the Buckeyes and the Badgers most likely won't have to go through when we get to this conversation. So uh, I, I'm right there with you. Number of games is going to have to play a big factor in this. I hate I hate the eye test. I, I, I hate it when people say that because if, if you're basing things on the eye test, then why do we even play a season? Right. If we're basing teams on the eye test, then why don't the committee just go out to fall camp at all these schools around the country, watch them practice, and say, I think these are the best four teams. So you guys can do whatever you want, but we're going to have these four in the playoff no matter what happens. That, I mean, that to me is the eye test in its purest form, and it's stupid. And I, I, I don't know. I hate, I hate when that comes up in things. But I don't know if I'm in the minority there. No, I, I don't think that you are. I think the, the eye test does matter mm-hmm. to a degree, and I think the conversation you know, needs to be had. I think the, the analytical – uh, probably aren't a huge fan of that that conversation. For me, I'm going to tell you that my 20 plus years of experience, you know, are, are telling me that this team is better than that team, right? Just by watching the film sure. and breaking it down, like there's a reality uh, to that. Also, and, and look, the, the, you talk about the SEC and the dominance that they've had over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and a lot of that is just predicated on better athletes. Their canvases are better, right? Before they start painting their picture. The canvas is the best in the business. They get a bunch of kids from that southeastern uh, region that stay home and play football at LSU and Alabama, and they just they're NFL draft picks, and everybody's got them. 
You know, so it, it is what it is. Like you're telling me that the uh, Alabama is a better football team than most. I'm going to tell you they are, and these are the reasons why. On top of great football, they they've got 14 dudes that are going to play in the NFL right. that start on Saturday. You know, they're just that much better. So the eye test, you know, that to me is a, is a part of the eye test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and that makes sense. That makes sense. But I, you know, if you're basing things on, like I, I've been thinking a lot about. For example, the 2000 OU National Champions, just because I've been doing some stories about them, 20-year anniversary, that, that is not a team that would have passed anybody's eye test, probably. You know, especially when compared to, like, Miami and Florida State that year. But they were just the best team, you know? Probably the fewest of those three teams, uh, they probably put the fewest people in the NFL, but they were the best team that year. So, right. I, I don't know. I think it's it's fun. This is why college football rules. Because Absolutely. Because we're, we're able to talk about this. How crazy would it be if we saw if somehow, some way, Oklahoma State or Oklahoma backdoored their way into a semifinal game this season? It would be wild. And the things that would have to happen for that to go down would also be uh, wild. And I, and I kind of love this because we're all on pins and needles, right? We have no idea what's going to happen next. You look at social media right now, I promise you somebody's saying the season's going to be canceled. And someone's saying that uh, they can't wait to discuss the Heisman Trophy this year. Like, it's just this whole mixed bag of opinions as far as, you know, 2020 and this COVID year has been. And I think it's, you know, we're all a part of history. And I think that's been a lot of fun for me to kind of look at it that way. Like, Lord knows I don't want COVID uh, or need COVID. <laughs> but to, to you know, I picked up a high school game this year just so I can be a part of it. Like, I want, how is this affecting high school kids? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for these kids out there and competing. And, uh, you know, and it's nothing is you feel like is safe, but they're out there doing what they have to do, living with COVID-19. And I'm like, at least I can do is go cover them well. You know, like, it's just, it's, to me, it's, a, it's just being a part of the, uh, of this story is interesting to say the least. I think no one, no one, this is maybe a little unrelated, no one is getting screwed worse right now than high school football players because they are the ones who are being forced now to make life-altering decisions about where they're going to play without being able to visit the campuses. I mean, I cannot believe that this dead period has lasted as long as it has. I, I just think, I don't know, man, it feels borderline criminal to tell a kid, hey, you know, sorry that you we, we're not going to allow you to take an official visit with right. all expenses paid. If you want to go, you can go yourself, but we're not going to be able to pay for it. Um, you're gonna. I think the transfer portal over the next four years is going to be so much more wild than it is has been right now because there's going to be a lot of kids who get to Norman, get to Stillwater, Austin, wherever, and say, you know what, this isn't for me. Right. But but and I don't know. I wouldn't have known that because I couldn't visit. Yeah. The amount of things that you do on your visit and the people that you meet on your visit really is is the difference maker, right? It's uh, it's Marilyn Middlebrook, you my my academic coordinator, at Oklahoma State, sitting me down and telling me how it's a big family and she's going to take care of me and. Uh, make me feel comfortable and welcome with that smile she always had on her face. And I was like, yes. You know, Maryland, to me, between Maryland Middlebrook and uh, going to see an Oklahoma State-Kansas game in 2000, which you, I'm sure you can imagine what that was like, mm. um, That those were the two reasons I chose Oklahoma State. Like, one, the fan base is insane, clearly. Uh, if they're going to pack this place the way that they have, and they're losing their minds in this game, and Maryland made me feel like I wasn't just another kid, right? Yeah. We're going to help you find a way, uh, you know, to, to – accomplish all the goals you want to do academically uh, and also become the football player you want to become. She gave me a big old hug and uh, afterwards, and I was like, that feels right. You know, feels like home. And I, I committed at my uh, breakfast on Sunday morning before I went to the airport. I just liked Oklahoma State. I had better offers, uh, 100% better offers. But something about the Big 12 at that time and the conference that it was, and like I said, those experiences that I had on campus made the difference for me. And I knew what to expect when I got there. I couldn't imagine not get, getting to a place where I'm going to spend the next four years of my life and never seen it before. Right. I mean, Zoom, 
Zoom only goes so far. I mean, you can have Zoom right. visits, and that's great. And, and apparently OU's been very successful with those. But that is not the same thing as sitting down with somebody. It's not the same thing as touring the campus and seeing the buildings and seeing the facility yourself. I mean, it's just not the same. And so I, I, I really feel bad for the kids in this class. And I hope, I hope that they find a way to get this one-time transfer thing done because a lot of kids in the 2021 class are going to need that. Yeah, no, I, I would agree to that for sure. And, and you just want to do the, the, the whole goal is to treat these amateur athletes like they're amateur athletes, right, and to take care of them. That's what needs to be done here. Do right by uh, these kids. If you're not going to do right by them, then maybe start paying them so they can do right by themselves. Like that's kind of the reality. So take care of them. And you would hope the NCAA and universities around the the country uh, take this whole thing very serious. Like this is not something that you're like, oh, you're a quitter because you don't want to be here anymore. You have to give these kids the benefit of the doubt. And it's going to be that way for the next couple of years, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. And, you know, I think that's – I came out of an era, Jason, where, you know, coaches would have poked fun uh, and, and uh, you know, yelled at you and cussed at you and told you that you're worthless and, you know, all those things if you weren't comfortable where you were at or you didn't like the coach or you didn't like the offense or you weren't, you know, this just wasn't what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. They're going to pick on you till it makes you want to quit, you know, and uh, now with these kids having the ability to transfer, some of them, you know, are making the right decision for themselves. Some of them are just running from a challenge, which you never really want to see that happen either, but... Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. The, the transfer portal is going to be intriguing, for, to say the least. And, you know, coaches that are familiar with it, like Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, uh, are probably going to be able to take the advantage the most, right? Lincoln's had so much success with transfer kids. I can't imagine that a lot of people wouldn't consider OU after being somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, totally. Well, when you see what he's done with transfer guys, I mean, the obvious ones being Mayfield, Murray, and, and Jalen Hurts. Hurts. Yeah. But, um, but, I mean, Obi Obiallo uh, is a kid who hasn't played much yet, but I think he's, he's been hurt. But, I mean, um, they bring in Theo Howard. A few years ago they bring in Jeff Bidette. He, he played a role in their offense. They um, brought in Justin Brown about eight years ago from Penn State, the receiver. Um, I mean, there's, there's a long history of OU taking in transfers and, and them succeed. Jalen Saunders is another one. Another one, one yeah. Um, I know Lincoln Riley wasn't there for those, but still, I mean, there's a long history of that. Yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy to think of all the successful players that Oklahoma's brought in after they have, you know, t- technically failed somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know that Jalen Hurts ever really failed, but, you know, Kyler Murray's history at A&M, not great. Baker Mayfield's history at, at uh, Texas Tech, not great. And they kind of reinvented themselves here. Uh, in Norman, which is which is pretty awesome to watch, and like you know, once again, I, I don't think that anybody in the country looks at OU and says uh, they haven't been a uh, the mo- one of the most progressive teams in college football in regards to uh, the student athlete coach relationship conversation, the recruiting conversation. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley's got past, present, and future players fully committed to the brand, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's the thing that makes them good. It's fully committed to the actual brand uh, of being an Oklahoma Sooner. you got kids that aren't on campus yet that are out recruiting for you uh, during this time. Like, that's a commitment that a lot of coaches in college football could not ask of their players because they haven't earned the right to ask that of their players. And the fact that Lincoln has, to me, uh, is why he's on this trajectory that he is. I mean, this is a Hall of Fame coach right standing right in front of us, and he's just getting started. Yeah, and what's so interesting is, you know, the, the, the way this season started, I think I had a lot of people questioning that. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that that was ever fair, but I, I, I mean, I 
saw things. I know social media in real life, but I saw things. I'm sure you did too and heard things. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, man, well, is he is he too much of a player's coach? Is the strength and conditioning good enough? Is, is you know, is he, uh, I, I don't know, a, a million things. Did he did he spend too much time worrying about other things during the offseason? And uh, right. all, all those, I mean, it's uh, nonsense. They just lost two games to two teams that were better than them that right. day. Right, in the moment, for yeah. sure. Um, I But I'll tell you this. If they played Kansas State or Iowa State again, I think they win. By double league. digits. Yeah. I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I, I agree with you and your uh, – the, the market's assessment of the Oklahoma Sooners after those two losses, I was be- – it was bewildering. Like, I'm thinking, we've all watched the same team in the last five years. We've all watched the same young coach grow – in the last five years, we've all watched him do nothing but each and every game get better in the last five years. And all of a sudden, he loses two in a row. And I got people on my air, on the franchise, that are telling, oh, I don't. this team's just not good. They're undisciplined. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Undisciplined? They're just young and out of shape and COVID and no spring and jacked up summer and no regular fault. Like, I don't. This is not, it's, to me, this was the easiest thing to reset expectations. I went into game one expecting something. After game three, I was like, well, now we have to change the narrative, right? Who is this team right now in this moment and move on from there? And all he's done is get better. Like, that's a great coach. And probably, to me, you know, one of the biggest storylines every year in Bedlam is that coaching matchup. Mike Gundy against Lincoln Riley, and it seems it's like an avalanche in Lincoln Riley's favor. Yeah, I mean, I, I do have to say, though, and I, and I, I actually was going to say this earlier and I forgot, um, I, I think in, in some backwards way, we got to give Mike Gundy credit because there was, there was a moment during the summer where I thought he was about to lose the whole team oh, yeah. and, and lose his job. And get job. fired. Yeah. yeah, right. And the fact that they've managed to be the best team in the Big 12 here through six, seven games, whatever it is, you know, he managed to get – everybody back on the same team and um i mean i yeah after that whole t-shirt incident and chuba hubbard's tweet and i mean things could have gone way south way fast and they the fact they didn't is quite impressive the other thing i would say about about ou specifically about that start and i'm I'm wondering if in a few more years we're going to hear the full story of, of maybe what happened in fall camp because and I don't know the full story by the way I'm I'm just speculating here but something must have happened because there was that moment when they started having positive tests and they hadn't really had any and then they shut down for a week remember they just shut right. down for a week and um, I you know again it's all sort of rumors but I mean you hear things behind the scenes that God the players were were really upset they were. They were anxious. Everything was wrong. They take that week off and come back. I just wonder if that weird preseason and whatever it was that was going on down there contributed to that early season stuff because they seem to be past all that now. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know? And I just would wonder what, what was going on because something was wrong there. Something was wrong. And I, I you know. I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist here. But. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, we all heard the same things, and to wrap your head around what that could have been, who knows, you know, and, and that's, once again, this is why Oklahoma is so good, is you're not going to hear a whole lot leaking out of the program right. uh, either. You know, they're not going to have some 
source out there chirping the newspapers and podcasts and, you know, writers about uh, what was going on. That's kind of some in-house stuff that they handled on their own. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that probably contributed to some on top of, like I said, no traditional uh, summer. It takes more than a month to get prepared to play college football. And I think the big guys, uh, you know, the, the offensive and defensive line probably struggle the most here mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to look in game shape. And if you go from week one to where they're at today, Jason, I mean – it's night and day, right? Those kids are flying around the football field. The interior of the offensive line looks 10 times better than they did to start the season. And I think a lot of that is just based off of they're in better physical condition. Yeah, well, Bill Bedenboe said to the media, we haven't talked to him since then, but he said uh, during the preseason to us that, uh, you know, every day he would get to the office and it would be like, okay, here's who's available. And it was just a patchwork of offensive linemen because they were getting caught up in contact tracing and all those sorts of things. And so um, it's not – it. in hindsight, it shouldn't have been surprising that they weren't playing that well. Right. It really shouldn't have been that surprising. But it was because it was OU, because it was Bill Biedenboe's group. Um, but I think now with, with, a little, with the benefit of hindsight, we can say, like, there was some weird shit going on. There just had to be. Yeah, no, I, I would agree to that. You know, when you look at this game and the matchups that we're dealing with, once again, we talked about Oklahoma State and the team that they've become this year, one of the better defenses in all of college football. Heck, Oklahoma's got a top 20 defense right now. I think, you know, coming in at 17 quietly, yeah. uh, pretty amazing. I don't know what Oklahoma State's ranking is, but I'm assuming that it's probably a little bit higher mm-hmm. uh, than, than OU's. You're talking about two very talented defenses. And, and Mike Gundy, you know, has always been you – know, I had to laugh this year because I'm like, you've always been conservative with no defense. And now you've got a defense, so of course you look like a genius when you're conservative. You know what I mean? Like his his offensive line can't run the football, they can't pass protect, so he's giving the ball back to the defense, and it's making plays, and it's helping him win games. Uh, no question, Jim Knowles is probably the guy that deserves a raise more than anybody on that staff. Oh, yeah, I think he's been, he's definitely been one of the best coordinators in the Big 12 so far, uh, without a doubt. I will – this matchup is fascinating, though, because the OU defensive line has been so good – and the OSU offensive line has so not bad, right. <laughs> been very good. Um, so you almost wonder if this is going to be – I mean, I, 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 I like prematurely feel bad for Spencer Sanders. Oh, yeah, Because I'm sure. afraid Perkins and Benito and, and some of those guys might just uh, – Yeah, they're going to they're haul off. And, and that, I mean, th- this game to me is probably going to be one of the better first halves of football we're going to see in college football this year. You're talking about the best unit in the field, in my opinion, right now would be the Oklahoma State defense against the second best unit in the field, which is the Oklahoma offense, and it's by a margin of a, a pinhead, right? I mean, those two are very, very comparable to each other. They're going to do battle for two quarters of football, or maybe three, depending on when Oklahoma State finally gets tired, because their offense will not be able to stay in the field. So you're looking at a first half for me, honestly, that is, you know, it's, it's seven or ten three Sooners at halftime, right, somewhere in there maybe. Uh, seven three Sooners at halftime, seven nothing Sooners at halftime. Uh, but I think that third quarter, you know, after you know, once again, they're not going to be. They just won't be able to protect Spencer Sanders. They won't be able to run the football. This is not speculation. I'm just telling you the truth here. Yeah. They they don't have any offensive linemen, and it's not like they don't have any good ones. Everybody's hurt, so they just won't be able to. They can be as creative as they want to be, but the, it's going to be difficult. So I think the second half of this game tells. A completely different story. And Oklahoma wins by double digits at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I'm I'm leaning in that sort of direction too. Um, that I, that I think OU is going to win and maybe win decently convincingly. And right. because and it just that's the other thing is and and I know that we can't base everything on the past, but I just Oklahoma State has trouble in this game and, unless something freaky happens like Tyreek Hill 
like Bob Stoops makes a terrible decision to re-kick Tyreek Hill. Right. Or unless they're just that much better like they were in 2011. And really, other than that, I mean, you know, o- OU finds a way to win this game. And um, until proven otherwise, it's kind of hard to pick against them. Yeah, I, you know, if this is why scheduling is so crazy in college football today. If you play this game four mm. weeks ago, yes, Oklahoma State beats the dog crap out of the Sooners. Like you're, I mean, bad probably. You're talking, you know, a double-digit 10-point, you know, 31, uh, you know, 21 type of game, and it doesn't look as close when you watch the film, right? That's a dominant defensive performance by Oklahoma State. And this game now, just, you know, four weeks later, is a completely different conversation. Well, yeah, because – and I, I don't want to make – I don't know. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but and I'm wondering what you think about this. I think Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson might be the two best players on the team, and they were missing them for five weeks. Right. I mean, Stevenson has improved that run game exponentially. Perkins add makes an already dominant defensive front that much better because he's different. Um, so yeah, if you if Oklahoma State played against OU. Without Ronnie Perkins and without Ramondre Stevenson, then yeah, it's a completely different game. Um, so it's sort of interesting. K State and Iowa State got OU, got that version of OU, and Oklahoma State's going to get this other one. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's yeah. Once again, timing and luck, and there's so much of that stuff that goes into college football today. You know, when you consider just the luck of the draw, you know, the luck of having players uh, not get hurt, the luck of you know weather conditions. I mean, just random shit, right? Mm-hmm. That has a real impact on on what's happening on any given Saturday. So uh, I'm with you as far as the outcome of Bedlam is concerned. I guess the next question uh, for me would be, you know, overall, you know, you're looking at Oklahoma, looking at 2020 and trying to close it out and win, it, win themselves a Big 12 championship. But to me, this free season uh, is more about 2021. And what can they accomplish this year? What can they learn about themselves this year and this roster moving into a season where it looks like OU finally might be just enough of a – physical specimen as far as the players on the field, the players on the roster to really compete with an Alabama or Clemson. Uh, Creed Humphreys most likely comes back after an average season for him this year. Spencer Rattler is going to be in his second year at the helm. A receiving core grows tremendously. Uh, you would assume Hazelwood is, is healthy and the primary target for this group, and they've got four other dudes that you got to love on top of Austin Stogner being a first-round draft pick tight end in two years. I mean, they've got, they've got some guys, and you just wonder – you know, will we see them get close to that high level of play in the next, what, four, yeah, four games left, three games left? Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. I, I wish you hadn't asked me that. Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Baylor. Three. Yeah, so three games yeah. left. In the next three games, you know, will we see them look like a national championship contending team? And I, I'm kind of thinking we might. Yeah, maybe. I mean, as whatever happens against Oklahoma State is going to be really interesting because that, that, to me, is going to be a sign. Because, again, the last two weeks have been very encouraging, but they were playing Texas Tech and Kansas. Uh, two, maybe, arguably the two worst teams, not in Kansas's case, in Texas Tech's case, arguably two of the, the two worst teams in the Big 12. So how they handle Oklahoma State is going to be really important. But to your point about the future, think about this. I mean, yeah, the, I, maybe Creed Humphrey comes back. If he comes back, um, Ramondre Stevenson can come back. He's a senior. Right. He can come back. And maybe he should maybe come he back. Should. Yep. Ronnie Perkins, maybe he should come back. Nick Benito is a redshirt sophomore who looks like a an NFL rush linebacker. If he decides that he wants to come back, oh, or, yeah. you know, I mean, they could. So much is going to depend on who comes back. Yeah, I think, I, and, the, and this is the team that you would. I would not be surprised one bit to say to hear them all get together and say, "Let's run it back." Yeah, like I. That's just how this team is. Like they have that closeness about themselves. 
Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, that would be, that would be amazing. And it's, I think Perkins has got a bright future in the NFL, but I think he probably needs another year of college football to be dominant. Mm-hmm. Like, show me what your dominant football looks like. I want to see it from start to finish, you know, be something I'm talking about every single day on, uh, on sports center. Like he's got that kind of ability. Stevenson in the same, in the same way. Like, and I think that he's done a lot of body work this year. Like he his looks body. Different. Oh he yeah. Looks different. looks different, moves different. Let's see one more year. In the weight room, what you, what's a duty for your body then? Because this is a kid that, to me, is going to test, and it's going to knock down the stock a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's going to be a great tester, but um, a hell of a running back, great vision. You know, obviously has a high-level skill set, but I think another year would be great for him. And he, the same thing with Creed. Yeah. But to me, Stevenson has a – he's got the hardest decision, in my opinion. Oh, I agree Because he's a running back, and those guys already don't have long careers. Right. It's like, man, if you think you can be a third- or fourth-round pick this year – do you just do it to get right. your money? Do you risk coming back and getting hurt? I mean, I, I don't envy Ramondre Stevenson that decision. See, if he was an SEC back, I would say, yeah, you, you've got to go, right? T- two different conversations as far as the toll that Kyle Triple is taking on some of these guys. Here in the Big 12, I'm not quite there yet as far as defenses uh, and their ability to impose, you know, inflict damage on a running back. Like, it's going to happen because it's just one more year of football. But there's a big difference running into the defensive front of Alabama and LSU and, you know, Auburn every single year versus what you're seeing here in the Big 12, which is it's coming along nicely. Like, you got dudes back in this league uh, for the first time in 15 years. Like, I'm finally seeing defenders that are, you know, highly touted. They're going to be talking about NFL guys. Kansas State got, you know, has one. Iowa State's got a couple of them on their defense. Oklahoma State's got a couple on their uh, defense. One of their defensive line, two in the second. I mean, they, there's, there's guys back in this league that are NFL uh, caliber for sure, but it's still not the beatdown. Uh, that an SEC was. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think he probably has the toughest decision. Yeah. Well, and not, add, add this to the YOU might be really good next year. There's two other guys that they might have back next year, Kennedy Brooks and Jalen Redmond. Right. I mean, gosh, imagine if this defensive line had Jalen Redmond also. It would be amazing. Um, and, if they, and I contend if Kennedy Brooks had been here with the Sooners all season – I think OU might be undefeated because they would have a running game in those two losses. Agreed. Um, But to me, Kennedy Brooks has a tough decision. Right. Because Kennedy Brooks has to decide, okay, if Stevenson comes back, I mean, he looks looks, good. He looks good. Uh, You've got Seth McGowan, who's getting better. You've got TJ Pledger, who has gotten a lot better. Uh, And they're probably going to be bringing in five-star Kamar Wheaton. So is there room for Kennedy Brooks anymore? I mean, this is – I don't want to like be judgmental about anybody's decisions to opt out or not opt out. I kind of, but I kind of think Kennedy Brooks might have made a mistake. I uh, I got to give it up to Seth McGowan because I really feel like his play inspired his roommates those in that running backs room to play harder. Mm. Like that kid might not be polished or have a running style that I say that I would call. That pretty. I mean, it is it is violent and it is all over the place and it is young. You can just tell he's a baby, but holy shit, does he run hard? Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at T.J. Pledger and what he looked like after McGowan started getting more snaps, I'm telling you, I think he put pressure on that room to show up and play harder. And that's that's a big time leadership moment for that kid. And he didn't even know he was doing it. He was just being himself. Uh, I think he needs to be praised for the commitment that he showed this team and, and what he did early on for them because it wasn't bad from the kid. It really wasn't. It wasn't what he's got with Stevenson and, uh, you know, and, and Pledger and, and obviously Brooks if he were to come back. Uh, but uh, McGowan put his foot down and did exactly what his team needed him to do and, and gave it all. So uh, mm-hmm. good performance from the freshman this year. Yeah, I mean, he's made some really big plays. 
you know, you can still tell that he's a freshman. He dances around a little bit. Oh, he's still yeah. got to sort of – they've got to work that out of him. But, no, I think McGowan can be really good. I mean, he made that huge catch on the first drive against TCU uh, coming out of the backfield. I mean, that's a talented kid. So their running back room moving forward looks like it's going to be pretty stout. I mean, but, man, if they can get Stevenson to come back, I mean, that that would be huge. That Agreed. would just be huge. Agreed. All right, buddy. We're going to end it here. Give me right. a, give me a score and a uh, who's going to win. Oh, um, I, I'm going to take OU. The game's in Norman. Again, the whole Bedlam history to me just screams this is – and OU is coming in with so much momentum. Um, so I, I'm going to take OU maybe – I'll say 35-24. Okay. Yeah. I will go uh, Oklahoma 27-10. Okay. Wow. A lot more low scoring. Yeah. Okay. I just, I have a hard time believing. I don't think Oklahoma's going to score a whole lot in the first half of this game. Uh, and I think by the time they get to the second half, the Oklahoma State defense gets tired. A lot of this is just going to be a real steady run game, you know, a running attack. Like, I, I don't know that there's, there's no reason to test those kids in the secondary because this would be by far the best secondary that Spencer Rattler will see all season long. And I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you want to keep him as safe as possible. So there's just no reason to really get in their faces with that. Uh, early in the game. So I don't think you see them take a lot of deep threat shots until you'll probably see a couple, you know, one in the first quarter, two in the second, you know, that type of deal, uh, and then get into the third and fourth and maybe go at them again. But that Oklahoma secondary, Oklahoma State secondary is enough to make you alter your game plan. Yeah. And I think that, to me, is what's going to keep this game relatively low scoring. So Maybe maybe Ramondre Stevenson has 15 or 20 carries after halftime. Right. Just to- just to grind them down right. the way Trey Sermon maybe used to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be – but, look, I think it's going to be a good first half for sure. I think it's going to be a good game. And it's Bedlam. It's Oklahoma. Uh, you know, for this weekend, every single year, we have the spotlights uh, on us in this state, which is a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere. Me too, man. Absolutely. Bedlam's, Bedlam's great. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. The Sam Mays Podcast is a production of P-Squared Media.